0: So learning how to like move past your past. What I mean by that is I I need to be the project manager and not like the project architect or the draftsman or whatever. And I just need to manage everybody properly. And sometimes, you know, when you're in the heat of the project or in heat of the moment, you just want to roll up your sleeves and just do it. And it's just like, you know, it's, it's a lot faster for me to just to do it than to explain it. I'm like, well, you know, Projects should have that built-in opportunity to slow down, teach and develop your staff and let them understand exactly what it is. Because that that's kind of like the whole goal is you want to, as a project manager or as a mentor or as, you know, anybody senior on a project, the goal is to really not just have a good successful project, but also to develop talent so that they can take over for you when you move on to, you know, like the next step or retirement or whatever. And so, you know, having that ability to let go is still something that, you know, is something that is in the works with me. Um, For the most part, I feel I'm doing a decent job at letting go. But sometimes I feel that when it gets to the heat of a project I kind of default back to my safe zone of just like, alright, fine, I'll do it myself kind of thing. And that doesn't do me, the project or the staff any good if developing them to basically be able to take over a project and, and do everything else. So yeah, I, I, I need to get a little bit into the into the works on that one. But so when I when I say I've got to get past my past that's Mm -hmm. what i sort of mean by that
1: it's a skill that you have to develop and as soon as you think you're doing it like you said i think i'm doing fine at this you're probably not (laughs) yeah exactly i I think that's just the telltale kind of lizard brain survival mode kind of thinking that that sneaks into this kind of thinking and it is a skill you have to intentionally develop, and it's kind of like meditation. Like The whole goal of meditation is to notice the things passing through your brain, but just sit back and notice them and not yeah. react to them. Yeah, We get caught up in this reaction mode to so many things, and so much so that we don't even realize how much we actually do it. So when you say, I, th- I think I'm doing okay at this... We're probably failing miserably at this. <laughs> yeah, you should stop. It's In the like, grand scheme I? of things, because you're right. Like, if you want people to develop skills over time to be the person who replaces you or however you want to say it, moves to the next level, they have to be able to think for themselves and act on their own and make mistakes and correct them. Like, that's called learning, right? Yes. And that active mistake making while you're just guiding is called leadership, right? And that, is helping them develop that skill because yeah if you just grab it right back mm-hmm. and say you know i'm gonna do it my way anyway because i can get it done faster well you've just prolonged the cycle right that's all you're doing is you're just dragging it out to take longer so you get to retire later exactly
0: <laughs> you know you, you say that and i was just thinking to myself that like so often projects tend to be more reactive and and that's usually what happens is is that like everybody kind of defaults back to their comfort zones. At a a point in a project, sometimes everybody just says it's about the success of the project and kind of forgoes a lot of the other goals that we've set for the project, whether it's staff development or leadership development or, you know, whatever. When we're looking at the schedule, we're looking at um, deliverables and we're looking at things like that, that we really need to, you know, we feel like we're either behind on or nose to the grindstone kind of thing. A lot of times we forget like all of the other goals. And, and as I'm talking about this, I'm I'm now thinking about things that I need to do, especially like on this new project to make sure I don't forget that every time we have like staff meetings and things like that is really talk about, okay, you know, let's track, obviously the progress of the project itself. And, you know, we have talked about on numerous occasions As we kind of like divvy up all of the work, having that person, you know what you need to be working on, develop a a list of goals and things like that. But I I think now aligning those goals of the project to the goals of professional development is really our next step in making sure that it truly is a successful project and not just a project that is successfully out the door, but one that is a truly successful project.
1: Yeah, not just the deliverable portion of the project. That is one piece of the of the project. People put success of the project as, you know, you got the project out the door,
0: you maintained the level percentage of profitability that the office was looking for. And that's not a 100% successful project. If the other goals of like professional um, and personal development aren't part of that, then it's not a successful project. It is just
1: a project that is done. I could not agree more because the issue that I see that is fundamentally flawed in this profession is there's way too much emphasis placed on that photograph of the final project <laughs> or yeah. that pull quote from the leadership to of how successful it was yes rather than all of the other pieces of the puzzle that actually made it happen because if it really truly is only about the delivered project you're foregoing so much opportunity on the internal side of things to Make people better so that they can do the next one better, which should be a major part of the goals of the system. Yep. Because if, if you're not doing that, like the next one is going to be just as, I don't know, difficult is not the right word, but you know what I mean. It's like... Dysfunctional. That's a great way to put it. <laughs> it is. And we're okay with that to some extent. But wouldn't the goal rather be to get it less and less so, so that it is yes. more yep. and more of a joy to come to work and work on the types of projects because you you have that personal satisfaction that things are getting better, that you are leveling up, that everybody on your team is leveling up. I always go back to like the analogy of just being a parent. It's like mm-hmm. your, your kids are going to make mistakes. It's a given. Everybody's going to make mistakes. And I feel like in the profession, the visual that people get when they make a mistake is that somebody's standing there with the gallows, like ready to chop your head <laughs> off as soon as you, yeah. they are, you're found out. But the the idea of parenting, and I know that this is not the same experience for everybody. So you know, an idealized state is that there's this safety net. Mm-hmm. Kid makes mistakes, parent catches gently and then guides and pushes and pulls and gets you going in the right direction. Hopefully, like that's an idealized visual. I know, but that's what it's all about. Well, is like it's it's not about failure and and getting your head chopped off it's about failure learning from that and then doing it better the next time together and having that kind of feeling of having a safety net and feeling that we're we are in this together that i think is missing from so much of the general perception and you know this is what happens when you're in school you're in school you do a crappy job the jury rips you to shreds and mm-hmm. then that is kind of psychological imprinting that happens for the rest of your career, or it could, right? If if you're not kind of don't have the self-awareness to really understand that those people are never going to interact with you ever again, right? <laughs> so right, it it's, right. it's like this psychological imprinting that happens in school, and I think it's really hard to break free from that, unless you're just really successful in school.
0: Well, but I was thinking about it as you were talking, it's like one of the things that we as professionals, need to do as we move into any new project is plan for those failures, plan for those mistakes. Because one, we're fooling ourselves if we come up with a concept and we're one and done. We are going to have to do things over and over again or try multiple different options so that we get it right, test fit it, and all these, these other opportunities. And I think that planning about that ahead of time will give us enough opportunity at least like leadership thinking about okay we're going into this project and if everybody's going to be 100% billable let's just say 10% of that is going to be us trying and failing at a project or a a product choice or options planning whatever I'm just I, you know blanking on like all the different things but That there's going to be some like opportunities in there that we should always plan for because then mistakes are, are opportunities for growth. And we never really, you know, it's just like, oh my God, I can't believe that, you know, Evan screwed this up. And instead of like treating it as a fire that needs to be put out, treat it as a learning experience to be able to grasp a hold of and move on in a very positive and learning way. Rather than, oh, my God, I got to get him off the project because he's just making these mistakes. It's like, well, actually, the biggest mistake is if you're giving up on that person and wanting them off the project, you're actually the one that's making the mistake, not them. Well, and you're just prolonging that to happen. It's probably going to happen again. Exactly. They're going to continue to make that mistake because you are not helping them learn on like why that mistake was made in the first place
1: we have to realize that these aren't breaks to the bones these are scratches exactly, on the surface ex- and and exactly. we ha- we totally get it every project is riddled with error that is constantly yes. being corrected that is the messy process of design all the way through through and through yep. and it probably helps to just say that up front <laughs> you know oh, and, yeah, yeah, and yeah. repeat that mantra throughout the entire process so that everybody maintains it as like this banner of That is what we do as professionals. We go from completely uncertain terms to complete certain terms, right? It's uncertainty to certainty. That is what we do. And along the way, that is not a linear path. Exactly. Yeah. It also makes me think that when you talk about people making mistakes and trying to avoid those, a lot of times, uh, I shouldn't say a lot of times, let's call it 50%. I don't know what the number is, but something interesting comes out of that. Oh, yeah. That was unexpected. And maybe it's a new process, maybe it's a new workflow, maybe it's a new outcome. Maybe it's, you know, it could be so many things, but it it doesn't necessarily equal bad. Right. No, not at all.
0: And in fact, actually, a lot of times, like when, say you're doing just, let, let's think about it in purely more like, you know, the design process portion and think, oh man, you know, I, I t- totally misread the intent of this programming exercise and i came up with this and they're like yeah i'm sorry i'm sorry they're like no 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 there is something of value of like what you did here you know it may not have been exactly what we were thinking about but there, there is something in here that is definitely worth exploring and now let's take that and develop that a little bit more i've always seen that there's there's no mistakes in like you know when we're doing programming there's no mistakes in there it's just it's it's test fitting to the point when you find that right situation, that right opportunity. And a lot of times, I mean, I mean, hell, remember when we were in school and you did like rolls and rolls of trace on plans and sections and elevations
1: until you got one that felt right. And yeah. you, you know, you'll get to that point where you feel right. It is an iterative process that has no defined endpoint, And so design could go on forever well. but you have to call it quits at some point right you have to <laughs> yeah. you have to be able to kind of as the leader of the team see where that is and keep your thumb on the pulse the whole time because if you don't yeah it can get out of hand but uh but really i think you're right like there there are innumerable layers of trace possible We just have Mm -hmm. to be able to put some bumpers on that process, and understand that we're not going to necessarily nail every piece along the way perfectly. And there's a lot of, you know, I guess it's called recursion in there. You you get down, you take a couple steps back, then you go down, you iterate, and you take a couple steps back, and you go. It's like this kind of semi-looping process. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that is a successful project right there. That's how it works.
0: Yeah, and I wish people there you know there are people that i've worked with and, and work with that misunderstand that process quite a bit and they're like well how many options you know do they want me to produce and sometimes it's well you produce them until you t- till you find the right one yeah. and and you'll know what that right one
1: is it could be one it could be 20 yeah.
0: yeah exactly exactly i mean you may like feel like you've come up with the right one the first time and you know go through the whole test fitting and Precedents and and everything else of just like trying to like see if like is my first idea based off of like you know maybe some of these ideas that i you know found elsewhere and then i try to redraw and redraw and all this other stuff and you might loop back around to that one or you might go off to like the multiverse of, of other options
1: uh that just makes my head hurt <laughs> <laughs> exactly. how are we going to connect all these in the the future movie <laughs> Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. If you,
0: if you think about it, like if you like liken it to the, the Marvel cin- cinematic universe, I mean, it, it really is. It's like, you got to sort of like plan all of this stuff out. It's like planning a project. It's like planning out like a series of 15 movies. It's like, okay, this seems to be like this really wild tangent, but how do I bring it back to like, you know, the, the end game? Oh, that, that was horrible. Boom. Boom. <laughs>
1: I don't even know where we'd go from there. <laughs> yeah, <I don't laughs> Completely know. derailed with a Marvel pun. <laughs> exactly.
0: I'll, I'll tell you. So last night uh, I get a text with some photographs and then a phone call like shortly after. I didn't even actually have time to like respond to the text before I, I got a phone call uh, from a friend who had kind of like almost. So I guess I'm you know, have this like growing reputation of being kind of like one of the office mechanics mm-hmm. and shade tree. Yeah. So I've had people in the past say, you know, Hey, I know that you work on cars and I just took my car to the shop and this, they said, this was the problem. And, but this was what it's going to cost. And it's just like,
1: you know, <laughs> it's insane. You need to start a new little consulting corner. Yeah. <laughs> Cormix consulting corner for, for car repairs. <laughs> yeah, Cormac's cars.
0: So it was interesting, is because you know, like uh, on that one first example, of, you know, this this uh, one person that was working with me on a project, she was, you know, she had some issues with her car. She took it to this place, and they like charged her this exorbitant amount of money for something that, if you and I were doing it, it would be you know relatively cheap to fix. You buy the part, you know, it's it's a relatively accessible area, but the cost that they were charging is crazy. And I was like, well. If you buy the part, I can come to you, or we can find a place to go, and <laughs> wait, I can you, fix it. Wait, for you're you.
1: mobile. You're
0: <laughs> I'm
1: mobile. <laughs> you a mobile repair service. But they were just like, "Oh, it's too late. I already did that." I'm like, "Well, here you go." This is a perfect example of failure in action. You can exactly. gently correct and and say, "You know, next time, here's what you can do." Exactly. <laughs> it, it,
0: exactly. But it was. Just, it's so funny. It's just through like my conversations with people, I I've
1: become like. The advice corner for automotive maintenance. This sounds like a great hobby and and way to distract yourself from the work. Because I think you need that.
0: I, I wonder if I could like capitalize on maybe doing like a architectural and auto auto body office. There you go.
1: You could do yeah a mashup here sounds in order. I actually need to pretty soon do a water pump and timing belt replace on my car because I've got close Ooh. to two hundred thousand miles, and yeah. I'm thinking could I do this myself? <laughs> Never done a timing belt before. Uh, I, I was going to say, I'll tell you. It's if, one thing if you screw it up; it's bad, right? <laughs> yeah.
0: If you were if you were going to do it on your Datsun Roadster, yeah, I would say do it because it's a timing chain. It is a very simple mechanisms. Versus, if you have ever you know watched a show or a YouTube video or something about today's timing belts and the timing system that they have there, it's usually like you know if it's like a straight cylinder. You know it's pretty straightforward, but if it's like a you know a, a V six or whatever dual belt, it's it's all of these synchronizers and everything right. else, and it's it's far more complicated than I would even want to get myself into. I
1: think it's like a thousand dollars to have it done, right? So it's a lot. It's not like a cheap amount oh, to yeah, do it, yeah. and there is a lot of labor involved. I, I'm going to look it up, yeah. but I, I don't expect to actually end up doing it myself because I'm sure that there are probably specialized tools involved, and it is a V eight, so it's like a yeah. You know, it's a it's a thing to do all this, but I, I, I just thought, man, this is where it is actually amazing, right? YouTube will have this video about how to do this exactly, step by step. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, wow, it, it it's not like the old Hayes manuals that we're, we're used to from the past. Oh, yeah. This episode of the Speak podcast is supported by Twinmotion. Let's talk Arcviz technology, powered by the near limitless Unreal Engine. Our friends at Twinmotion offer a fast and easy way to produce stunning real-time visualizations and immersive experiences for your clients. Twinmotion gives you the tools you need to make faster decisions and relay information to your clients in a way that instantly speaks to them. Breathe life into your scene by changing the season, the weather, the time of day, just by moving a slider, immersing your client in a way that they'll love and more importantly, be able to truly picture themselves in. Seriously, it's that easy. You, you have to try it to believe it. So why not share your design with stakeholders and collaborative reviews and edit your scene together? I'm a huge fan of this. There's no better way to get buy-in than by making your clients feel part of the development process. Right now, they're running an exclusive free trial for listeners of this show, which you can head to Twinmotion.link slash ArcaSpeak to get your hands on. That's Twinmotion.link ArcaSpeak. I remember when we were
0: at the Construct conference and we were talking, and somebody had asked, you know, like, "What is like, you know, one of your
1: favorite productivity tool?" That was the question.
0: Yeah, and you you had said uh, YouTube, and and I couldn't agree more because honestly, almost anything that we do now in architecture, there is a YouTube video for. If somebody's like, you know, "Hey, how do I set up something in Revit?" There is somebody out there that has done it and made a video and posted it for you to learn for free how to do that particularly thing yeah the
1: hard part's just finding the right one
0: well exactly that is true because remember when we were talking about me replacing the temperature cage yeah you and, had to take out
1: the headlight and
0: and i had to well i had to take like all sorts of different parts out of the way for it but there was so many different people who had a different take on it there were people who were taking like the front grill assembly off and You know, like the whole front clip out to just be able to get to that part. And there was one dude, little shade tree mechanic guy, that was like very just straightforward about the thing. He was like, "And I'm not going to lie to you, you know, it's 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 difficult, and you're going to have to contort yourself to the point of like you know almost pain to get to this thing. But this is how you do it. And literally, like it went from basically one option was disassembling the entire front of the car to being able to just like you know contort your hand enough and pull one wire out of the way, or you're like one wiring harness out of the way to get to it, but to be able to do that in architecture, I mean, there's there's people out there that you're right, it's just like trying to figure out how to find the right
1: video or something like that. Why isn't there more of this for architecture? There is though. There there is, but there again, really is. it's not structured and it's not. No 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 no. no the, so this is the issue, right? Is every company does things a little differently, but they do it their way right like that you can't deny that if you go to youtube and you find one way to do it there is probably a good chance that the way they're going to show you is not the way that the bim manager would have told you to do it in your office yeah uh, yeah yeah so there's there's that so what and i guess what i'm getting at is firms don't take the time to capture this knowledge and we rely on data a lot when we're working on projects, and, and I think one of the things that my, my day job, we're making the distinction is be- between knowledge and data. Knowledge equals all of these other things. Experience, mm-hmm. I've done it you know, X many times before, I've done it X many ways before, I've all these different permutations, here's what I found works, here's what I found doesn't, here's, here's what I know that could lead us in a direction to find out. We suck at capturing that stuff, and I think we're further hurting ourselves with these utilization ratios and utilization at all, right? It's like you are going to be 90% billable on this project, or you're going to be 100%, or whatever the number is, because you still have to fit that learning in, and it doesn't necessarily cleanly fit, and not, and not only that, but it doesn't only benefit or impact that project so it is a weird kind of system that we've set up and agreed to work within i think most firms do it exactly the same way and at the same time we don't capture this stuff so that we can disperse it throughout the workforce within our organization to be better at this stuff it's like go find it hopefully it's right if it breaks it nobody will notice on this project um kind of a mentality it's it's pretty messed up when you think about it. And at the same time, like we just don't think about it because we're so busy getting this project out the door so that we can move on to the next project.
0: Yeah. So now to kind of like bring it home to my initial comment of getting past my past, and maybe it's not necessarily getting past your past, but using your past in figuring out how to capitalize on that past successes and failures to be able to improve the way you do things in the future or the now and how you're able to like capture that as a, as a usable tool for productivity, for education, for staff development in the future. you know, so, so like, you know, you say, you know, saying that it's like the, that firms don't really capitalize on the, the experience and knowledge and things like that, that they're just basically kind of like doing a project to project kind of thing. But how do you like capture, you know, kind of like these, tech talks or whatever as a resource or a library of, hey, here is how the firm has agreed upon doing code research so that we reduce our liability, we do a thorough job at research, we do very similar buildings, and so very similar buildings are going to have very similar code researches that are going to be required. And so why not have kind of like a lecture that's videoed that somebody gives about how to do code analysis or analysis of the ADA or something like that, that is going to be applicable to almost, let's just say, 90% of the projects that come out of the firm and utilize that as a usable, searchable, uh, watchable tool that then benefits the entire office so that you're able to grow people. And sometimes it's not all the time. Do you have the opportunity or the time to like sit down and like instruct somebody on it. So you just send them a link. It's just like, this is what I would be telling you.
1: Yeah. I had a recording with Ellen Bensky. Uh, she's the CEO and CFO of Turner Fleischer architects in Toronto, Canada. And she, uh, I, I sat in a couple of her classes at Autodesk university a few years ago. And that's when I was first introduced to her. But the whole idea of this being an operations problem, is, is very real. I mean, this, this is something that I don't think enough firms are trying to take advantage of. Um, but we were talking about this this idea specifically, and they basically have instilled a learning culture in their firm. And it's not, not just a learning culture, but a teaching culture inside of their firm. And so her job as CEO, she, she describes this herself, And I'll put a link to the the conversation in the show notes because every firm should be having this conversation. But it's very much an idea around, you can't have people on projects worrying about this. You have to have somebody who is not tied to a billable utilization chart, like their corporate level or overhead, you know, dirty word Mm -hmm. in our practice. Yeah. Be dedicated to this because they have to be able to dedicate 100% of their time to do this to be effective for everybody. Right now, we're distributing this task amongst everybody, and everybody does it in a half-assed way because it's not their job. And the project always wins when it comes to its prioritization of time. So... If the deadline's there, that's all you're working on. And the deadlines are always there. Like that's how it works. We constantly set these milestones along the project timeline and those are the deadlines and we have to work our asses off until we hit the deadline. Then we can come up for air and then we can do it again. Right. You've got to have somebody dedicated. And actually I know a guy who his name is Adam and he's a chief knowledge officer at Cunningham Group. In Minnesota, but they have offices throughout the U.S., but chief knowledge officer dedicated to figuring this problem out inside Cunningham Group. I mean, this is that serious of a thing for them. And Ellen, going back to Ellen, being the CEO and the CFO, totally understands the return on investment of this issue. This is not something that she takes lightly. She says, we can't afford not to do this. (laughs) <laughs> and so there's so much hesitancy around training and hesitancy around, you know, if we teach them and they take that knowledge somewhere else, you know, that that'll that sucks for us. And it's like, yeah, but what if you don't and they stay right? The the whole the old cliche about about teaching people inside the organization and using billable time to do so. It's an old argument that needs to go away and die hard. This is something that firms have to embrace and Help our whole profession level up. And yeah, if somebody takes it and go somewhere else, it makes somebody else better. That's the overall a net positive. That's how we have to right. be looking at that. Oh, soapbox. This is my soapbox. I know.
0: Oh, I I, I totally agree. I'd I'd sit there and listen for a while. If you, Do you have a hat that I can toss a buck in?
1: Yes. Yes, my hat <laughs> out. Well, we have to enable people on our local teams to do this too, right? And so that, yeah, that really yeah. is is where anybody can start today on this because the outcomes of it and and I think about a story that uh this guy that I've followed online for quite a long time his name is Derek Sivers he started a company called CD Baby where my band we sold our CDs and that's how we got him into the iTunes store and all this and and it was just this one person company for a while and then he slowly grew and grew and grew and ended up you know years and years and years later selling the company for tons and tons of money and the only way he was able to do that was because he realized that he was the bottleneck. Everybody came to him with questions on how to do stuff. And I know lots of people who are quote unquote leaders who are this bottleneck in their companies. And it's because none of the information is written down anywhere for anyone to be able to look up the way your organization does this thing. What are the standard operating procedures for this type of a of a thing? And he realized that at one point, the light bulb finally went off, like, oh my God, I'm spending all my time in every meeting just making these decisions, and we've made these decisions before, and there doesn't, doesn't need to be like this. So he, he realized that. He started coaching everybody that when they came to him with this question, he would then say back to them, I need you to write this down in the manual, which now is like an intranet. It's, it's an online tool, but back then it was like a three-ring binder. <laughs> it was just like, write down the question, write down the answer, and move on. And then from then on, everybody referred to that. And I know it's not always that simple, but it's even better nowadays with this being digital because these are living documents that can be updated if we would just take the time and think about it a little bit upfront to structure it in a way where that stuff is easily findable, but so that it can be a living document so that people can refer to it and you can establish the, you know, in your case, the Ayer St. Gross way and move forward. So that we can build on that, you got to start on your own little team, though. You just got to do it yeah. because as soon as you do it, everyone's gonna be like, "Whoa, you've got you've got a cool thing over there. I want to do that too." Wow, that
0: just actually hit home because you just made me realize that I'm a bottleneck, and, and not in a bad, and, and I don't say that you know facetiously either. I, I you I, know I'm, I totally I'm realizing it. that I that the way that just things move so quickly and fluidly that you know we don't take the time to develop that opportunity. And that, so now it's a little bit of like just self-reflection and some assessment of like, okay, well, how do I not become that bottleneck? How do I you know, become very proactive in just like the development and sharing and, you know, like the progression of knowledge in a way that isn't just, you know, like the end all be all me kind of thing. And maybe I, it's because I sort of feel in a way that, you know, oh, I'm the project manager. So I should, you know, everything starts and stops with me. Well, no ego get parked. It really is about the progress of the team, progress of the project, progress of the firm, progress of the profession yeah. to basically just not be the the one and only leader, but a leader
1: that really is an advocate on the sidelines or a coach, but not a leader. Well, and it's a grassroots effort at some level. Like there, there definitely is kind of that top-down version, which I presented, which is the chief knowledge officer, but there's also this grassroots effort. And especially if you if you do find yourself, you know, obviously working on projects for a long period of time with the same people or your team works on a project and then moves on to a next project and you don't see a lot of personal shuffling. It's a great testing ground at the grassroots level to just prove a point and say, we can make a great resource. Look, we did it. Yeah. And, and then move it forward from there or just see if anybody's interested, because if they're not, don't waste your time, right? Like don't keep pushing yeah. it up the chain, but it still can be super useful for every project you work on and for every, everybody you mentor moving forward.
0: Well, I will say this, that in the past, and it's probably definitely something that you and I have experienced is that most leaders do not have faith in the youth. They, they come in, these leaders, these project managers, these principals and stuff really feel you, know, you haven't earned anything, you haven't done anything, so you don't really know anything. And the issue there is, is that the more and more I work with these kids coming out of school, and I say kids only in the relative fashion of my age versus their age, with no like derogatory meaning in that, it's just, I'm finding that they are more than capable of being able to critically think beyond just like, oh, you've never done a project so I don't trust you to do anything. No, I've I've been learning more and more of this lateral sharing of information that it's back and forth between me and them. They know stuff that I don't know. I know stuff that they don't know. And, you know, just this lateral sharing back and forth is a hell of a lot better than this top down method where I kind of like preach down to them my knowledge and they're like, okay, thank you. But I'm also like thoroughly impressed at their critical thinking, but the knowledge that they have that, you know, we just assume that they don't have because what the hell do you know? You just graduated school. No, they know so much. And if you build, you know, if you like, and it's not even build that trust. It's if you just assume that that trust is there, that they do know what they're doing. And you like let them try. Then it goes back to that conversation we were just having about the mistakes. So assume that there's going to be some mistakes, and but also assume to be OK with it as well. Give them the opportunity to do that, but also enable them to say, OK, I made this mistake. Let me come back to you and like let, let's talk about it. Not as a parent talking down to their kid and say, oh, my God, you know, I can't believe that you screwed that up. But as a professional that says, "Okay, this was great. And here's where my experience has shown me that this could be a little bit better. But I I appreciate this was great. But. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, there's always in. Yes. And see, but that that is a good example is like we've got to get sort of past that too you know we've got to get past that mentality of like well yeah what you did was you know it's like patting them on the head oh yeah yeah that was cute you know that yeah. you did that nice. but nice kind try. of thing
1: is just like really oh tr- i think what you're saying is treat them like the adults that they are <laughs> all right yeah and the professionals that they are yes all right let's do that yeah everybody damn culture. it culture yes. our profession depends on it it does and we gotta stop thinking about it it's just our little group our organization but the the entire profession i mean right now we talked about the great resignation right we talked about everybody's yeah. moving yeah. around right now holy crap yep. i just i'm seeing it happen it is massive massive shifts of i mean this is just like the rubik's cube is being shuffled that's that's what's oh my going gosh, on yes. and and so okay you have to think about this bigger than your organization and and you can't think of it in a negative way like these people are moving on that happens that's how it works we still can level up the entire profession yeah absolutely all right that's it for this one call to action level up people yes get
0: in the right headspace damn it